Hey guys, I am super excited to bring you this episode. It features some folks who I think are just so cool, and that is Dr. Michelle Oakley, aka the Yukon Vet, and her daughter Sierra, who were gracious enough to join me all the way from Australia. So despite some very real logistical challenges, we managed to pull this off. First off, if anyone is wondering, the time difference between Eastern Standard Time and Perth, Australia is, well, now it's 12 hours since we sprung forward, but at the time, I think it was 13 hours. I honestly don't know. Australia is now part of the world clock on my phone and I still struggle to figure it out. Anyhow, also because of the time difference, I was recording from home rather than from the Vetfolio offices and we had no idea if my internet was gonna hold up. I just graduated from relying on my phone's hotspot for internet for the last four years to Starlink out here in the sticks. It's so exciting to have like actual internet, but it's not full service internet yet. We're, I'm kind of deprioritized. So we just, we had no idea what we were going to get, but I'm happy to report despite a couple little blips that seem to be limited to brief interruptions on my end, I do think we managed to get some pretty good audio quality, but please do bear with us if you hear a little bit of lagging here and there. We were half a world apart. In spite of all of these challenges though, we made it happen. And I wanna say a huge thank you to the Vetfolio team for helping to pull this off. And thank you to Dr. Oakley and Sierra let me tell you, they're just as cool in person as they are on the show, and I can't wait to bring you our talk. An Indiana native, Dr. Michelle Oakley earned her undergraduate degree in zoology from the University of Michigan. While studying there, she took her first trip to the Yukon as a field assistant on an Arctic ground squirrel ecology study. During that trip, the Yukon became home. She graduated from Atlantic Veterinary College in 2000 with a doctorate in veterinary medicine and shortly after that worked for nine years as the wildlife veterinarian and regional biologist for Yukon's Fish and Wildlife Department. Dr. Oakley also interned at the Calgary Zoo where she regularly returns to provide relief services. Dr. Oakley runs her own mixed animal practice throughout Northern Canada and Alaska, often with the help of her three daughters, Sierra, Maya, and Willow, who also appear regularly on the TV show, The Yukon Vet. She also works as an on-call vet for the Yukon Wildlife Preserve, the Alaska Wildlife Conservation Center, and the American Bald Eagle Foundation. She runs specialized wildlife capture and conservation programs throughout Canada, and also in Scandinavia, Sri Lanka, and Europe, which we talk a little bit about on the podcast. All right, let's jump in. Well, I'm super excited for this episode because despite some geographical and technological challenges, we're half a world apart. They're in Australia where it's Saturday. I'm in Florida where it's Friday. And we somehow managed to pull it together and bring the Yukon vet herself on the show, Dr. Michelle Oakley and her daughter, Sierra. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for making this work. It's yeah, Saturday in Australia, and I know it's Friday for you. So yeah, yes. thanks for having us. Absolutely, super excited. And let me tell you, I'm very happy to have finally made it to Friday evening. <laughs> so I think one thing that you know we're all dying to know is 
The Yukon vet. I know for me, I, I really enjoy the show. My kids love it. I love watching it with my kids because I think it gives them a lot of insight into some of what it's like to be a veterinarian. How did all of that come together? How did they find you? How did how did all of this get started? Thanks for saying that. That's actually one of the most important things about the show to me is that it's such a good family show. And so many people write in and say they watch it with their kids or their grandkids or their kids drag them in to watch it. So that's awesome. And how did they find me? I'm pretty sure it was like, like they sent out some like mass call and then you ignored it. And then I think Carla (laughs) sent it to you Yeah, and then you ignored it again. And then she was like, I think you'd really be good at it. Yeah, And then you finally applied and then we got, um, that's right. We had somebody come up and make a sizzle and that was still to the day, this day, like one of my favorite funniest memories because we were at the wildlife preserve and I forgot the stethoscope when we were going in the field oh poor baby I remember that you were yeah. so sad yeah yep. gosh you have a good memory <laughs> see Sierra not only after all of the details when we're she's like been my you know right hand woman mini me tech extraordinaire in all of this work for years um we started when you were 14 I think started filming the show yeah. And now Sierra's 25 and we're, I'm actually in Australia because we're here to deliver her <laughs> to Murdoch University. She's starting her first year of vet school. So, um, but yeah, but back to that. Yeah. My, my Carla Fury Anderson, who's a vet in Newfoundland actually is my best friend from vet school. And she was like, you got to do this. You got to do this. And I was at the time I was um, a wildlife vet for Yukon government and, you know, it was really busy. And I was also then transitioning to, um, leave government and do a mixed practice where I did a lot of the wildlife work still on contract, but then was trying to set up a brand new kind of mobile vet service, which was really difficult and really expensive in such a remote place. So then the show kind of, you know, hit me up a couple more times and I was like, okay, let's do this. You know, we'll, we'll film for food at this point. Cause it was hard to make <laughs> a business work. <laughs> so also, if we can kind of go back to that a little bit, that you were a wildlife vet for the Yukon government, but you're not originally from the Yukon, right? You're you're a fellow Midwesterner. Yeah, I'm I'm originally from Indiana. Um, I went to University of Michigan for my undergrad in zoology, and they had a really cool wildlife study going on in in the Yukon, and you know ended up going there. Just fell in love with the place, and it just just became home for me. I met my husband there where, you know, now we're, we dissolved our marriage, unfortunately, but Aww. he's a great guy. I love the Yukon. We, you know, raised three wonderful children there. And so it's, the Yukon was a, a really good starting place for me because when I went to the Yukon for the wildlife study, um, I ended up staying and and then ended up going to vet school from the Yukon, you know, became a dual citizen, became Canadian, and then ended up having, you know, my three daughters there and uh, kind of the rest is history, I think. Mm-hmm. Documented history. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say to Sierra. I'm like, I think I'm off the hook for scrapbooking because you know yeah. it, it, your your childhood has been on camera. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yes, I mean, you seem very at home in the Yukon, and you were talking originally about some of the about how it was very expensive to start a mobile practice because of some of the logistical problems that you were running into and things being very remote. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I know I've seen on the show where, you know, you're unloading snowmobiles to go somewhere or, um, you know, taking really long ferry rides. What are, what are some of the logistics like? Yeah. The, the logistics of 
you know, getting a vet practice around the Yukon and Alaska, you know, probably the majority of my work is done in Alaska now, which is right across the border, but we go to both places. It, it's crazy. I mean, the the town that, that we're in right now is Haynes, Alaska, and that, you know, you, you can drive to it from the Yukon, but the nearest big city is about a five hour drive through a mountain pass. And that's to Whitehorse Yukon, which is only about 30,000 people. So it's not a huge city. And then from there, if you try to get to any of the bigger Alaskan cities, you have to take a ferry, which is maybe once or twice a week and maybe only once every two weeks in the winter. Or we have these little seaplane flights that go a couple of times a day, but they're, you know, in the winter, they're canceled probably a third of the time. So it's wow. incredibly challenging, not only for us to get around, but also for people to get their animal vet care. So you know, when I'm in Haines, I run a clinic periodically, but then we go out, we travel out to all these remote communities. And yeah, we've gone by boat where we we charter some of the um, different passenger boats or whatever. I, I have a Sea-Doo. I've gone by Sea-Doo to do emergency calls in some of the nearby communities. And that's always fun. <laughs> um, we we off, often travel to Girdwood, which is south of Anchorage. And that's where the Alaska Wildlife Conservation Center is. And I'm, I'm the head vet there. I'm actually the only vet, but I love that they call me the head vet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so then we, you know, I travel there on a regular commercial jet to Anchorage and then have an hour drive. So, I mean, really a lot of our time is traveling. And um, I think the show, that's one thing we always talk about that we need to cover more in the show because it just looks like we're just driving everywhere. We just kind of show up, but man, the travel is so challenging. You know, we took this summer, actually, I'm really excited for people to see the new season because what's coming up is um, one of the boat trips that we do where we, we, we charter a boat and we go down and we visit a bunch of different little communities in Southeast Alaska that are either on islands or they're, you know, there's no road to them. And that is super fun because these people never get vet care. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, vets just don't come there. And so right. we show up with this like makeshift clinic, you know, they open up the fire hall for us or they open up the gym and we set up and do all the spay neuters we can. And we see all the emergencies that have been waiting and all the, you know, chronic gnarly conditions that, you know, people couldn't get to a vet. And it's amazing because these, these people depend on their animals, just like we all do, not only for emotional support, not only for companionship, you know, to get them out and moving, but also to tell them there's bears right there, you know, or to tell them, sure. you know, like it's, there are a ton of big brown bears in these areas where, you know, they're not trying to get people, but if you bump into them and startle them, you will be attacked, you know? So it really, your dog tells you so far ahead of time that there's, you know, a danger in the area. So it's, you know, it's just really cool to be able to ensure that people have their, their companions, you know, that are healthy and, and they're trying so hard to get them the care they, they need, but it's, there's just no way they can afford it in most cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, whenever we show up at these like tiny communities and stuff, like we bring our entire clinic in totes. It yeah. has taken quite a few years to master <laughs> and we're honestly not even there yet, but it has gotten pretty good where we basically just fill up different totes with like surgery, exam, yeah. lab stuff. And we just memorize where everything is. Well, you do. I just yeah. asked you, wow. where, is, <laughs> where is the laryngoscope? And you're like, that's in surgery totes. I'm like, Mom. actually, yeah. it's sitting out right in front of you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's usually where things are when I can't find them. They're like, you're literally uh, touching it. And I'm like, oh, yes, yeah. that makes sense. <laughs> My yeah. favorite tote is the miscellaneous tote. They're that's where perfect. I put everything. Yeah. And Sierra's like, that's not where it goes, mom. It actually goes. <laughs> that's a surgery pack that goes in surgery tote. I'm like, oh, I thought it was miscellaneous. <laughs> it's like the junk that's drawer not a real of tote. the tote. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah we go to these communities with like 20 totes right like yeah like I think we counted wow. it up it takes like around 20 totes of ours to just yeah. get our vet clinic into and that is loading on and off planes that's loading like the on and dock. off the dock oh, oh my gosh yeah. like every oh small community we went to we had to load everything onto the dock and then either truck it up the ramp ourselves to get it loaded into yeah. the car to go to the gym or the fire hall or wherever or use somebody's four-wheeler and just yeah, usually four-wheelers so many trips yeah and like wow. I mean we have a lot of gear we have like around 20 totes but the film crew they also they have like about 80 yeah so oh my gosh. show when we show up at the airport or it is a lot <laughs> to see our like our group photos with the mountain of stuff behind us it's yeah. so funny just to see how much goes into what we do there yeah that is unbelievable like that I mean like you guys are working hard to go and make all of this happen Uh, how Mm -hmm. often are you able to do these kind of clinics like how often are you able to go back to the same place I'm thinking of these islands that you're describing where you know some of these gnarly conditions that may have gone for a while without treatment are you able to get in there and do much follow-up or is it like I'm gonna do everything I can for you right now and and give you the best advice and here we go Right. It's, it's definitely not like, okay, we just did this surgery and we'll see you in two weeks to remove sutures. No, like you have to work with the owners on, you know, suture removal and follow up. And often these communities have one person who's like, you know, the one that really looks out for everybody's animals and they're always our most important contact because they help us with the follow up. Sometimes they have like a little mini shelter, but, but not usually, it's usually just one person, one kind person who's going around helping everyone. So they become our liaison. We, We do a ton of like, you know, telemedicine where we're on the phone with them talking later mm-hmm. and yeah I mean some communities we never get back to and that's kind of heartbreaking but but some it's you know kind of an annual it's become an annual thing and you know Haynes I live in Haynes but that's a small community as well that's only you know about 2,500 people it's not enough to support a full-time clinic and I'm traveling all over anyway so you know even in Haynes the town where I live it's just kind of like once a month that I'm doing a clinic there so it's 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 really tough for people. And I find that is one of the hardest things that I deal with is the guilt of not being there for people. You know, it's like, of course, I know logically I can't be there, right. but it seems like no matter where I go, the place I left, there was an emergency where, you know, someone really needed help. And it's just, Aww. gosh, I find that hard, you know, to be spread so thin and not be able to, um, you know, it, just that feeling of God, as soon as I walk out the door, I know something's going to happen, you know, but it's, what can you do except you right, know, try to be right. there? Right. I mean, you're place. yeah, weighing out like how how much good you're doing with you know you you can't you just can't be you know the the only as one person you can't be there for all of these animals all the time and right yeah you know but amazing for doing all the all of the work that you do. I mean, twenty totes for the clinic, eighty totes for the film crew, which we talked about this a little bit before that, you know, the film crew is really kind of a necessary component of these clinics. Yeah. I mean, the re- it is a reality TV show and I'm proud to say there's, it's not scripted. They don't tell me things to say. They don't, they don't come up with stuff for me to do. I mean, this is really what we do, but the one thing that I guess probably isn't, um, you know, talked about in the show is that I couldn't afford to do this without the show. And I think anyone who runs a vet clinic knows that, you know, that, 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 you know, the cost of a mobile practice is so expensive. We'd all love to go around and provide, you know, free vet clinics all over. Right. Wouldn't we, you know, it's oh such gosh, a great yeah. feeling. It's so nice to be able to do it. 
you know, most most groups that are doing it are doing it on, on foundations, you know, donations, organizations, things like that, that that support that. But in this case, it's Nat Geo. And it's pretty awesome that they're, you know, able to do it. You know, they cover my overhead, essentially, the travel overhead, not not the clinic, but, you know, they cover sure. getting us all over, you know, they feed us, they have a place, you know, help us get places to stay. Although in some of these communities, we're staying in people's houses and stuff. But yeah, <laughs> sure. but in general, you know, when we're traveling in hotel rooms, I mean, that's all so expensive. And the sad reality is that none of these towns, not even the town I live in, have the population base that's high enough to, you know, support a real clinic, you know, a full time. And I mean, and who can I mean, I know there's a lot of soul practitioners out there, but man, that's a even that is a tough life. I mean, one vet, you know, one or two staff people, maybe a tech or something. I mean, it's so hard from my understanding to make that work as a business because you really need two or three vets to get enough income in to pay for everybody. And, you know, it's one vet you're on call 24 seven. So right. I mean, that, that is one thing that I warn people about because a lot of people reach out a lot of, you know, new grads and they're like, Oh, that's what I want to do. I want to go live in a rural place and be the, you know, this vet that travels around. It's like, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's not, that is the only unreal thing about our reality show is that I don't know that that, you know, all creatures, good and small kind of a lifestyle exists out there anymore is, is financially feasible anymore, you know? And I'm glad to hear you talk about that because I think that's a really important thing to address that, you know, you do have to have a certain level of, of income and that, and there's so many factors that play into being able to generate that. And, you know, it, it, we can romanticize it all we want, but there's, there's a financial component to it. And, you know, even if that is, you know, the way that it's portrayed on the show, maybe doesn't come across that it's the show that's making this possible to hear it. Like, I, I love hearing about it because I'm going, wow, you know, not only do are you bringing a lot of what veterinarians do to the general public? And I and in my opinion, I think really showing a good example of, you know, practicing good medicine, working with what you have to get the job done. But because of the show now able to do that for communities who otherwise, you know, you may only go one time, you may only go once a year, but if it weren't for that, it might be nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, and I just love Nat Geo for that. I mean, not only they're helping us like inspire kids, we get like the cutest fan mail all the time and letters <laughs> from parents too, that are so excited. Their kids now want to be vets or, you know, but they're also letting us like Robin Hood around, you know, these remote yeah. places. And it's just, like, I just can't thank them enough. All the animals they help while, yeah, they're making a TV show. I know they have their motives too, but it's, you know, every time someone's like, oh, you did this, you, you know, I'm like, yeah, well, thank, you know, not Geo who's helping us get around to do this. You know, it's just, we're really lucky. And, you know, now that we've kind of built this platform, you know, we know the show won't last forever. You, you're lucky if you get a few seasons and now we just filmed season 11 and 12. So you know, I, it's been, it's been an awesome run, but I don't know how long it'll last. And so now like my last year or two has been just this focus on how can I build a foundation to keep this going? We can't expect Nat Geo to be a sugar daddy forever. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and then when we, and we had a really cool experience a few years ago when the bushfires happened and in, in Australia and we, and that was actually covered on, on the show when we, um, we had just learned about treating a burned, a severely burned dog, unbelievably is like over 40% of his body was burned. He had been tied to a house that burned to the ground. 
outside. He was outside and somehow he survived. He And when the fireman came and cut him loose, he was on fire. He ran away on oh fire gosh. and ran down to the ocean and went in. And so that story was so incredible with how the people wanted to to treat him. And then, you know, I was ready to give up on him, to be honest. And a tech that I knew was like, isn't there someone that does like this fish skin? And then we ended up reaching out to a woman named Dr. Jamie Payton, who's just a saint. She she does all this fish skin work research where he puts fish skin on all types of animals that have burns. And it's incredible how much faster the healing process is with fish skin. Um, and, you know, long story short, like, to you know, long story longer, I don't know if she's, <laughs> we learned that technique and it was really good. Then like the bushfires happen and we're like, you know, this is a really cool technique we'd love to share. And so we, you know, pulled Jamie in and we did a GoFundMe and we got a ton of money donated because people knew the show. And then we took all that money and we went to Australia and we, we shared this technology and some of the actual fish skin with a bunch of different vets there. And so we were treating koalas and, you know, a bunch of kangaroos and wombats and, you know, all these animals, you know, that it just made their heal. It, it instantly stops the, the most of the pain for a lot of the burns. And then it just allows like a scaffold for healing. That's so much faster. You know, it's weeks instead of months and months for um, the skin to grow back over. And so anyway, that was just such a cool process to, to go through. And then to see also, you know, not only just with the fish skin, but to see the potential out there to help, you know, even if we don't have Disney, well, I feel like now with the platform, you know, with people knowing us with our social media, we're going to be able to, you know, get donations, help people, you know, if people are always asking, where should I donate? Where should I help? So, you know, we're, we're working on getting some products actually that we sell at then, you know, like a, like a Newman's own model where that product, all the profits go into the foundation. And then we go around and do this wildlife rescue work or, or support the centers that are already doing a really good job. I just hearing these stories, it's incredible. I mean, I, I hope that you're hearing what I'm hearing as you talk about this, because what you said about feeling the guilt where you can't go back and help every single one of them, but gosh, listen to all the good that you're doing, not only for this dog who had this burn and full disclosure, I'm pretty, was his name Archer? I'm pretty sure I saw Archer, that Archer, yes. yes. Dragon Slayer. Um, <laughs> yes. So I do think I saw that. Well, I know I saw that episode, but not only helping him, but bringing this technique to, you know, so many different animals. Gosh, you know, it's, it's gotta, there's gotta be some emotional challenges like you're talking about of not being able to, to follow up on some of these cases, but just the amount of good between what you're doing and Nat Geo making the financial side of things possible. I mean, it's incredible. Well, thank you. That's really nice. But just a reminder, I have editors that work full-time to make me look great. So yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, actually, Dana, I have to do a shout out to a few people. Dana Kemp is one of our main editors over at Lucky Dog Films who makes a show. And she does, she's been our editor from day one. So, you know, 10 years of watching my kids grow up, of watching me mess Aww. up, of beeping out all my cuss words. <laughs> and then and then finally I silent beeping them because I was getting a lot of people writing in saying, you got to watch your mouth. My kid knows that you're swaying all the time. Um, and, and the other person for a shout out is Tracy Corneliuson. And she's been our like office manager and kind of support tech for the last, I think, five years now. And she just makes sure she, you know, she's the one that's always doing the scheduling, working ahead, changing everything because of, you know, all the, how it is to move around and the bad weather and emergencies. And so, you know, those front staff people, I mean, she's our front staff person and, and, and Sierra is too. I mean, she's, 
between myself and Tracy, you know, we've trained Sierra and Maya and Willow, my daughters, to be amazing, you know, vet techs. And yeah, it's it's been quite the ride. I don't know. Sometimes when I like when we talk about it like this, it's like, dang, you know, this just started out like, do you want to make a couple episodes? And mm-hmm. it's like, okay. And now, you know, we've we've been to all these cool places. I'm so excited. We've you know, been able to inspire a lot of people who want to be in vet, who want to be vets or vets who are out there. I get lots of letters and contact. And then now somehow we went to Australia and then somehow now we're back in Australia. <laughs> it's just, yeah. you know, for Sierra to start her career. So it's, yeah, well, not started, I guess, to continue it. To continue it. Yeah. I think your career started when you were 14. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I always say like, I remember like helping mom like pull porcupine quilts. I was going on calls with her pretty much as yeah, like, 40 below. I mean, this poor below. kid would be the one holding the horse, you know? Oh my gosh. There was this <laughs> one case where it was, it was like minus 40 yeah. Celsius and yeah. I, we were trying to close a wound on a horse's leg, but Huge it was laceration. so cold yeah. that the blood was like, you know, when you stick your tongue to a pole and it sticks, yeah. oh it was like that with all of the metal instruments and the blood, it was sticking to your hands. It was yeah. just like, it was couldn't wear gloves. Like the yeah. gloves just cracked. So then I was like oh barehanded and we had hot water there. I kept trying to stick my hands in to warm up. It was just unbelievable. I mean, that's and that is the really interesting I think I, on the show, I think, is that to see how you can adapt veterinary medicine to work outside of a clinic in crazy situations. I mean, sometimes it's cold. Sometimes it's, you know, snow blowing sideways. Sometimes it's extreme heat, actually, where we live because animals aren't used to the heat and we're getting all the weird extreme weather that everybody else gets. But sometimes it's actually heat, you know, or rain in the middle of winter and ice storms you know, all those things. And as all of us know, especially, you know, farm vets, those vet calls never stop. In fact, they get more common when the weather does a crazy shift. So, you know, to, to make a vet clinic work, you know, on the road or out in the field um, is a real trick. It's really interesting. And I think that's one of your best skills here. I think is we always joke that you MacGyver everything, but I think it's (laughs) because you grew up as a bush kid in the Yukon having, you know, I mean, these kids would go to the dump and get a, a car hood and pull it behind snow machine as a sled. You know, they would do like the craziest <laughs> stuff because that's what they had, you know, just mm-hmm. it's well, it's a lot of like being out there and then it's like, okay, well, we don't have this. What else can we do? It's like, yeah, well, sure. like, I don't even know. It was just like, we have, we have to just make some stuff up as we go because it's either like that or it doesn't get done like we were trying to figure out how to vaccinate these bears one time and we didn't know how we were like we can't really stick pull them ish Mm -hmm. because they'll turn around and grab it and so I ended up getting the blowpipe and attaching some fishing line to a dart and then then we blow dart it and then just reel back in the dart so that they wouldn't eat it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it's stuff like that. We're just out in the field and it's like, okay, you either MacGyver something to get it done or it doesn't get done. And, you know, I will say as, you know, nothing like some of the things I've, I've never been in a position where I had to MacGyver anything to vaccinate a bear. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as a, as a house call practitioner in, you know, in somewhat a rural area, I, I actually really appreciate that aspect of the show of, you know, sometimes the situation isn't ideal, but you have to get it done anyway. And, you know, I've 
tapped a belly on a pool deck and done a blood transfusion <laughs> on a kitchen floor. I don't know if I should say that out loud on here, but I have. In both of those, well, one of the animals I did, the, the belly tap was a quality of life deal, um, so he didn't make it much longer. But the blood transfusion dog did great, and some of the other weird MacGyvery stuff, like these, yeah. these dogs have done great, or, you know, animals, cats, whoever they are. And so that's one of the things I really appreciate that you guys – you know, I, I appreciate seeing that MacGyvering and saying, you know, we don't have every tool imaginable, but we can still get the job done and do a good job. Yeah. And that's the thing, leaving the clinic and making sure you have every tool with you. Like it's, it's <laughs> so hard. And then it's like, we're going to these communities. We have limited space. We have limited um, weight that we can bring. And then you're looking at everything like, okay, well, do we need this? Can we make something else work? And then it's like, okay, well, like I remember one day I was sat looking at catheters for like five minutes and I was like, <laughs> these are 24 gauge catheters. And if something small comes in and we miss one time, then like if we're working on kittens, I, so I just grabbed all of them. It was just, it's so hard because you yeah. get out there and then you have only what you brought. And if you mm -hmm. don't have it, it, it can really mean like like life or death for animals a yeah. lot of the time. So it's just making sure that we pack everything <laughs> that those, we possibly can. This this makes me think that these are the stress dreams you probably these have. These are stress dreams, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we and all have like, them. Like it's part once. of being in the club. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm like, you forget something once and you and you never forget it again. <laughs> yes. Yes. I actually had that experience this week. I can relate to that very, very closely. Uh, well, so we, you know, we've talked about the fact that you guys are in Australia. Sierra, congratulations on going to vet school. So excited that you're gonna, you know, be a veterinarian. And I, I just, with all of the experience you have, your passion, your knowledge, I think you're gonna do amazing things. But let's shift gears a little bit because part of what you're working on while you're in Australia is a foundation because like we mentioned before, if the whenever the show ends to continue to support wildlife facilities. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's a, like I said, I've done a lot of wildlife work in Alaska. I mean, sorry, in Aust I've done a lot of wildlife work in Australia. I say you've also and, done um, a lot of wildlife work in Alaska. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it, Perth was definitely a spot I wanted to hit anyway. And they have a couple amazing facilities. One is called WA Wildlife. And it's like, the best referral wildlife, I mean, it's like the the best referral hospital you've ever been in, but it's just for wildlife. It's incredible. Like, That's and there's a lot of really well-organized wildlife rehabilitators and wildlife centers across Australia, well, at least in the several places I've been. So that's one stop. We've recently worked in Costa Rica. I've also worked in Sri Lanka a few times and I'm going to Uganda in the next couple of weeks and hopefully Madagascar. So there's going to be a lot of international travel to centers that, you know, are doing a great job on very limited either funds or equipment. And so that's what I'm hoping to do is to go work with these folks, see what they need, and then use funds to, you know, fill in their gaps, you know, and, and definitely some of them need, you know, my personal help, like with, you know, oh, let's, how can we fix this anesthesia? What can we do? But really most of them know what they're doing quite well and I'm learning from them. Um, but I, I can't, I do have good experience in, um, you know, what can help make things run smoother? What, how can we better support the animal under anesthesia? How can, you know, different equipment that they just couldn't access. So, and now I have a line to, you know, some amazing companies that are willing to donate that stuff. And so it's a little bit of, you know, trying to get everybody well outfitted, helping with any anesthesia protocol development. And also just helping promote them, like show the world 
this work that's going on at, you know, Toucan Rescue Ranch in Costa Rica on the Sloth Institute. I mean, that place, you know, if you look up Toucan Rescue Ranch, like really look them up. I, I, it's just incredible how many animals go through that center. You know, they do tons of sloth work. Sloths get electrocuted on, on power lines all the time because they're climbing in like trees. And because of that, those electrocutions, they, they lose their babies sometimes. There's a lot of orphan sloths that are found and those can be raised and released quite readily, but it takes time. It takes almost a year to raise a baby and release it or two years. Sorry. Yeah. And then um, a lot of the animals that survive electrocution, they have to have arms amputated or they have severe burns. So we work with them on fish skin, but also the amputations, a, a three-legged sloth can actually be released and raise a baby again and do quite well. It just needs help getting back out to the wild. So they do a ton of that work. And there's a few other places, you know, we've worked around the world now that, you know, they're they're just beating the bushes trying to like, you know, get attention and get people to support them. And this this work is being done in biodiversity hotspots that, you know, these animals, these individuals are actually really important to the population. Of course, it's about, you know, individual injuries. And, you know, I, I agree with all of that and the poor animals and, you know, that's so important, but they are also super important overall for conservation. And, and these centers not only work to help the individuals, but they also work with like the government agencies to get at the root of the problem, you know, so for example, Toucan Rescue Ranch is working to put all kinds of things on the power lines to block sloths from getting up there. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of work, at, you know, at, at treating the individual pain and suffering, you know, improving the conservation of the population level, and then actually working to prevent the problem in the first place. So those are the centers that we're really trying to target and support in any way they need. Man, I could just sit here and and listen to all about these different rescues and stuff. It's so interesting. It reminds me of... We have an elephant ran- ranch, I guess is what I will call it, um, near us. And I took my daughter there on her birthday and um, we went and saw the elephants. And she was talking about some of those same situations that they run into. I think she was mentioned, I think she was talking about India and some of the issues they run into with elephants, with um, hit by cars and, you know, diet- dietary stuff from getting into to trash or something. I can't remember exactly, but. You know, things that you may not think of on a day in and day out basis, or, you know, if you did think about it, you might think about it on that individual level, but really these are, these are big, big, wide spanning problems. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you think it's bad when a dog gets in your trash, just think about an elephant rummaging around right. out there. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be a good thing for anyone involved. Yeah. Yeah. No, they are. They, and some of these problems I find personally overwhelming. You know, you see things, you see some of the documentaries on TV. It's like, ah, you know, we all get that like, you know, overload of where you just sort of want to give up and you don't know what to do, but you know, it's, then you spend time with some of these groups and it's like, no, you don't give up. You go here and you go there and you support the people that are doing it. And so that's, that's what we're trying to do with the foundation. And, you know, it's, it's early on, we're just getting going with it, but I I have a lot of hope that we're going to I mean, I not even hope. I just I know we're going to do it. I just um, there's a lot to figure out along the way here. And we just finished filming two seasons back to back. So we're going to have a bit of break now. And and that's why I'm, you know, kind of gallivanting around now to try to figure out this foundation, how we're going to do it, how I can put people in touch. And then the one other component that I want to add to the foundation besides, you know, helping animals and helping the the groups that are doing such good work is to try to pull in everyone that wants to help. I mean, I have so many cool vets and vet students and pre-vet students and, you know, people that want to help. And so 
you know, we're talking about at the Alaska Wildlife Conservation Center trying to set up some type of, you know, internship or training. They already do a great internship there, by the way, for people who, um, you know, like undergraduate students that are interested in wildlife. It's not a vet internship, but a, a more of a general one. But, you know, a way to try to rotate vets around and do vet collaborations and exchanges, you know, because it's really cool, even if, you know, we're supposed to get some of the Costa Rica vets come work with us in Alaska, and they're not likely to ever work on a moose again after they leave. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's not really the point. It's, you know, it's seeing all the different species, it's seeing again, like this talk about how you MacGyver things, how you make, make these, the equipment and the concepts work in the field, and not just barely, but how you do it like to a really high standard, you know, like all this equipment's getting more portable, you know, there's oxygen concentrators you can take in the field. Now, if you can't get oxygen tanks and oxygen support is so important under anesthesia. And, you know, what about pulse oximeters and what, you know, all these things are really so portable now and you can pop an IV in and running IV fluids. Gosh, that's just like so important. Like some of these basic things we can do that we don't always do. It's, it's cool to remind everyone and work together on, you know, how that works wonders when you're working in the field, no matter where your field is, you know, whether it's Sri Lanka or Australia or Costa Rica or Alaska. That's incredible. Incredible. And such a, such good messaging to get out there of like, you know, we, we do it great. And now, you know, there's things happening and we can do it better and we can all work together so we can all do it better. Mm -hmm. Is there any sort of resource now for people who are listening to this podcast and say, that sounds so cool. Um, I'm not talking about myself. Yes, I am. Um, any sort of resource now where, uh, you know, vets who are listening and they say, I want to be involved. I want to help. I, you know, I want to know more and, and help contribute to this. Can they reach out? Is there a website or is there something they should keep an eye out for? Well, there will be soon. I think the easiest way is to follow our Instagram and TikTok. It's at Yukon Vet. And that's going to be, that's where we're going to be dumping all of this. Like all the different things we're working on, we'll be releasing like, you know, actual websites soon for the foundation. We'll be releasing all that soon at the, at UConn vet. So that's probably the easiest way for me to tell people is to, to follow that and watch for those things. We'll, you know, have, we do stories all the time where we are, but we'll do posts that actually make it easy for people to find the work where they can get involved. And yeah, I mean, that's all I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like if they follow like Instagram and stuff like that, then we post enough about there, even at the facilities that we go to, like we'll tag yeah. them in it. Like if we went, we did work with like a, with Toucan Rescue Ranch with the Sloth mm -hmm. Institute and stuff. And you can find all their information um, on our, our posts. Our posts. Yeah. And they take a lot of visiting vets, you know, they're these places, you know, sure. Jump in, you know, if you can go. And, and I encourage a lot of vets to consider doing that. And I, I think a lot do, but you know, there are these good groups like, you know, I think it's organized out of Australia. There's Vets Beyond Borders. There's, um, I think there's even a Vets Without Borders, like Vets Sans Frontiers. There's like two different organizations with real similar names, but also just reaching out to the centers, you know, planning your, you know, some of your vacation <laughs> time. I mean, maybe that doesn't sound real healthy to everyone, but I love that is when I travel hey, is to go. awesome. <laughs> Fine. You know, like I just went to Baja for a few weeks for vacation and Air Bunnies and you know, before I went, I'm like, well, I'm going to check out. And there's this in, in, um, Mulahe, which is a great town in Baja. You, you got to check out, there's a spay neuter clinic. They're phenomenal run by like an anesthesiologist from Washington and a bunch of vets. And they just like rotate vets through, you know, so just like sign up. And if you can come in a month, we'll put your name down and you can do a ton of spay neuters for a couple of days. And then, you know, you're right there on the beach. And so there's a lot of, of work we can all do like that in, in places that can't afford to have vets 
paid at least or have clinics or things like that. That's good to know that we can go and do things like that. That's it's definitely not something that I have a lot of familiarity with to, you know, to know that there are centers and we can just reach out to them as vets and say, hey, do you want yeah. some help? Um, is, is there, uh, I'm getting a little, probably a little bit too nitty gritty here. Like, is there special licensing and stuff that, that you have to have to work in all these? Yeah, I mean, for sure. And those centers will usually have it worked out. So often either you're just supporting, you know, most of them already have a vet staff or vets that come in, but but those vets need help. So, you know, you can be more of a, an observer or supporter or work kind of, you know, more as a tech kind of a thing. Or if you're going for a longer period of time, they can help you, you know, let put you in touch with the licensing group. But for most of my, I have gotten licenses, for example, in Australia, when we came, we definitely were, were licensed. Um, but in other places, you know, if I'm just there for three or four days, it either the licensing in these places was almost non-existent, or I was working under the supervision of a vet that was right there who was sure. licensed. So, you know, it's, you, you certainly, that is something that you should pay attention <laughs> to no matter where you're going, of course, but most of these places have it figured out already because they're used to vets coming and helping. Very cool. Very cool. And I'm thinking about you doing all of this without your uh, your right hand technician because now she's going to go cry. be a vet. Cassie, <laughs> yes, don't make me cry. This I'm is sorry. Like, this is, I know I'm, I would. Oh my days. goodness. Yeah. yeah, like I'm kind of wrapping up and leaving in a few days, and oh. uh, it's it's going to be hard. I don't It'll I don't even fine. know. My it's the the real problem is going to be getting my and Willow to take. My spot, they all, I, we were, we were trying to work out who's going to take um, my position when I leave and neither, neither one of them want to. Oh, they no. Were like, no, 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 thanks. No, thanks. Yeah. And I was like, cause I mean, I, I don't just do like a lot of the fun stuff that you see like on camera where I get to be like holding the animals and watching yeah. them recover yeah. and stuff like that. I do a lot of like the background paperwork and setting up and packing yeah. and cleaning instruments oh, and stuff God. and just like setting yeah. up takedown and mine and Willow don't want any part of that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. They're like, it's we'll hold the animals. Tough. I mean, I can I, relate to that. <laughs> I think we're going to have to just wait to do everything on her, on her like summer vacation kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, we're not doing anything until school lets out and then we will you know, practice again. <laughs> Um, well, Sierra, what are, are you going to go back to the Yukon and, and be the next Yukon vet? What do you want to do after school? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm coming for my mom's spot. Yeah. I'm actually, <laughs> she's gunning for you. <laughs> um, but I, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm just going into, um, my, my first year of the program. Well, it's a, it's a five-year program actually. And I'm going into the second year of the program. But um, yeah, I'm not really sure what I want to do. I know I love working with wildlife and I love working with all of these different like rescue centers and stuff. It's just been, it's one of my favorite things to do is just to go to these clinics and then just to see how it's run and then just take ideas from that to other places that we go to, to help improve. And then also help other clinics improve, be like, Hey, have you tried this? Have you done this? And just even like the setup and takedown, I really like, but I think that with the show, it kind of kind of set me up for a little bit of failure in the in the department of I don't really think I can stay in one spot for very long. Sure. <laughs> I I mean I love the travel. That was part of the reason I, I I love my job is I love the travel. I love the people that I work with. And I mean it, it's so fun just to be working with different people 
like all the time. I love people. People always say that I'm going into veterinary medicine because I don't like people. I'm like, well, that you're in the wrong profession. Then. <laughs> oh gosh. Like, yeah. It's to, such a people if you're going business. into veterinary medicine, you need to love people and love all the quirks and all the funny stuff that come with it. And even with wildlife, because <laughs> yeah. even though there's no owners there, there, you still have to deal with a lot of people who are oh, well absolutely. wildlife. But yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of seeing where it takes me right now. <laughs> yeah. Keep your mind open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is the, that is the way to go into it and just kind of find, I don't know, things, things tend to find, find us and say, this is where you're supposed to be. And you've just got, you know, so many skills in terms of logistics and, and the medicine itself and you know, all these different experiences that I know whatever you do, it's going to be great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So one thing I've always wondered whenever I've watched the show is referral options. So we've talked a little bit about sometimes you just got to get it done and, you know, with whatever resources you have at hand. But if you have one of those where you, you know, are wondering, how am I going to get this done, even with Sierra's brilliant MacGyvering, do you have referral options available? Yeah, referral, there there really aren't referral options for most of the places that I that I work, you know, all of the Southeast Alaska in the Yukon, there's there's no referral. I mean, if you had a colicking horse and you wanted to get it to an equine center, it would be like a 24-hour horse trailer ride. And, you know, which, and, and it is, even if you could afford and, and do that and drive 24 hours straight, I mean, first of all, is a horse going to make it? And second of all, the weather right. can be so, so awful. And I mean, so it's, it's just, they just rarely exist. Now there, there is an exception to that. When I'm working at the wildlife center um, and some of the more places close to Anchorage, there's a couple new referral centers. Like at least we have, there's a cardiologist and there's an ophthalmologist. So, but most of the communities where I'm working, that is, you know, a lifetime away. There's, you know, I could barely get there to treat their animal. There's no way they're going to get their animal all the way over to these places for referrals. So that is, you know, challenging Personally, because, you know, I don't, you know, it's the whole do no harm. <laughs> you know, I want to help. It, it means that I'm constantly reaching out to colleagues to try to do the best, you know, for every single patient, you know, and it, it's really exhausting to do that on one hand, but I feel you, you know, you, you have to, it's so hard to know and remember everything. And, you know, like even just basic surgery skills, like, you know, I hadn't done a C-section in five years and then I had an emergency C-section on a two pound Yorkie in the middle of the night on camera, there was no way to get her, you know, like the, she was supposed to leave on the ferry the next morning at 11 o'clock. And it was a snowstorm. Like there was just no way that she'd get on a flight and the ferry was ended up being canceled. So I ended up doing the C-section and I hadn't done a C-section in years. And most vets are used to doing C-sections all the time. No big deal. Right. But when you haven't done it in a while, like quite a while and you're doing it on camera, it was just like, and the thing is so tiny. And I mean, spoiler alert, it turned out okay. And you know, it's on the show, but I feel like I get a lot of procedures like that. Like where either, either I haven't done it in years or I have not never done that procedure and it's being filmed. And that's just so challenging because first of all, I know all the vets who have done it, you know, who do it regularly, of course, they're probably going to be the ones watching. I mean, that's what it's telling me in my head, you know, that nasty little voice. And it's like, oh, oh shut no, up. no, you know, you just, no one wants to do a C-section on a two pound Yorkie. <laughs> like, yeah. let me assure you. Like, we're, we're all feeling your pain at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, but there's just different procedures, you know, where I just, I haven't done it and I'm in there doing it. And, 
they're asking me questions like I'm the expert on how's it going. And I'm like, oh, you know, this oh, is- there was this one is the- I was watching and I, I remember it was like a potential GDV. And I was oh, watching God, and I was yeah. like, if that's a GDV, I was like, is she going to cut that GDV? Like, what's going to happen here? And, yeah. and you end, the dog ended up being non-surgical. But like, yeah. I remember that going through my head where I was like, is she is she about to cut a GDV? Because I would, I mean, you know, Me as too. much as God yeah, love our colleagues was, who are like, I, it's no big deal. Yes, I'm like, I don't want to do it, though. Mm. Yeah, that was a friend of ours. Though. I know. I know that exact case. And like, yes, because, yeah, I mean, and I would have to. Right. I don't. <laughs> what am I going to do? Watch the thing pop. Like there's no, no, I would have to cut a GDV having, I don't, I, maybe I did a GDV 15 years ago. Like, honestly, it just hasn't come up. I don't know why I know it's common in practice, but it seems like I've been lucky enough to miss them or medically manage them or, you know what I mean? Somehow they've passed me by, you know, and I seem to, you know, I've done a few splenectomies and a, and a ton of eye removal. There's so many That's eyeball so um, enucleations. Those are so easy though. Thank goodness. But, but I mean, even the range of animals you do it on, you do it from yeah. like alpacas to tiny kittens, right. yeah. like Ducks. to muskox, like, to horses. <laughs> like there's just, you do a procedure, yeah. but it's not just on dogs and cats. You have to go yeah between species of all sizes. So yeah, that's really tempting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is, but I, I, the, the referral option is a thing I could only dream of referring. I wish that was like my world, you know, like so often and not just because there's a camera there watching me do it for the first moment, you know, like that's <laughs> for sure really intimidating and really tif- difficult. Um, but because I want to do a good job. I want to help the animal, you know, and I, and right. it's just like, you would be so much better in someone else's hands, but you know, that's just not in the cards for where we are and everything. So you, you do the best you can. And you know, that, that always involves for me, a really quick prep, you know, so thank God for sure. textbooks and thank God for colleagues that I can reach out to and just be like, Hey, you know, this is what I've got. You know, I have a few colleagues that I've worked with extensively at different zoos, Dr. Doug Whiteside at Calgary Zoo, phenomenal, phenomenal vet. Like he, you know, between him and Dr. Sandy Black, and they were the ones who really gave me my start at Calgary Zoo, you know, as an intern, as an extern in fourth year. And then I came back as an intern and then I went back as an associate vet on and off. So those are people I reach out to a lot for the wildlife work. And um, Amy Doyle, Dr. Amy Doyle, who's an equine specialist at Atlantic Vet College, were classmates and she ended up becoming an equine specialist. And I mean, I call her about probably the simplest things for her, you know, but there are also things she knows that she'd be like, okay, you need to refer that, you know, to an actual equine specialist. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but she's come out and worked with me and even brought students out to know that that's not our reality. And if we don't do it, no one's going to. So she talks me through a lot of things that, you know, wouldn't be okay to do you know, as a mixed practice vet elsewhere. And that's, that is a tough ethical call. You know, at what point do you do something for the animal to give it a chance in air sure. bunnies? And at what point do you euthanize it? Because you know, that chance is going to lead to more suffering. It's, it's a very, very difficult thing to decide. And so, but it's always in my mind, you know, the do no harm is always there. Um, but I've seen so many animals really fight for life and do well, that if I'm going to be around to help with pain control and to help with, you know, ending suffering, if it doesn't work out, I, I tend to give them more of a chance, you know, and, and put some blind faith in my own skills. If I have, especially if I have someone who can mentor me through it a bit. Sure. Sure. And, you know, I'm thinking about it. I, I certainly hear 
what you're saying to yourself, you know, that self-talk of like, you know, there's people who do this all the time and I'm sitting here freaking out. But honestly, I, I think a lot of us know that reality in practice because, you know, plenty of plenty of people just won't refer even if there is the option. And so walking that fine line and so I don't think anybody is watching this and going like, oh, I don't understand why this would be stressful. I do this all the time. I think, you know, it, vets out there watching are going, yeah, I've been there. I would want to refer that too and have not been able to. And and she's sitting here doing it on camera for the world to see. Yeah. So I, you know, I certainly think you have all of our respect going like, oh, like that, that looks really hard. Yeah. And I think a lot of, you know, my you know, I say, oh, well, you guys all have referral centers. I think the reality for most vets also is that owners can't afford referral centers no matter where you are. So you do end up doing a lot of things and, and you know, with the referral center down the street because the owner won't do it and you want to try to help, you know, but it's, it's, it's a tough thing for a vet in any situation, you know, to feel like less than the best choice. And I think, honestly, I think that's something that I, I hope to see change. Referral centers are wonderful, but we can do a lot as vets in general surgery. And, you know, I hope people really trust themselves and push themselves a bit to develop, especially within a practice. Sometimes you'll have multiple vets and some are really good at ultrasound and some are really good at surgery, you know, to sort of like as young grads, you know, and stuff, I think you should really push yourself a bit to get better at different techniques and not lean on the referral so hard because you will come to those cases that they just can't afford it. And you still want to do a good job and you want to help. I think that's really good advice where, you know, to kind of push ourselves a little bit. And, you know, I, that's a whole nother podcast episode. I have a soapbox yeah. and everything for that one, <laughs> but I'll stay off of it. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, just constantly pushing ourselves and our skills and, and what we can do and what we're comfortable doing, because you're right. Like we, we do have a lot of skills and there's a lot that we can do and a lot that we can do well. I'm the, the, poster child for staying away from abdominal surgeries. I don't like them. And uh, <laughs> I just, if I never cut another abdomen again, I will be, it, it won't be too soon. It'll be too soon. But, you know, it, it's certainly true that to have that comfort level, because, you know, sometimes you end up in that situation where, you know, you're, you're the only one who can intervene at that point. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned ethics, and that was actually a topic I'd love to cover is, do you ever run into situations where maybe maybe you feel like we should really turn the camera off for this one, or oh, yeah. you know, even something where you get really emotional and you're like, I don't really want to be on film because I know I'm going to have to put this dog down. How do you handle oh, yeah. those tough situations? All the time. I mean, that, and that is the hard part about filming a vet show for everyone. You know, it's like a lot of the owners are coming to us trauma, you know, really upset their animal, you know, just picture if it's your own dog that just got hit by a car and you're coming in and people are like hooking a mic on you and like, okay, if we film, you know, it's, it, that's a, I, it's so hard. Like I hate to even ask the question. Now, in most of the places we go, people know ahead of time, you know, they already know me, they know the place, you know, but there's, and we are going to communities where they know the deal. And, you know, you can logically explain it to someone like, you know, if, the filming is what's paying for getting us here, you know, like it's, and, and sharing your story is really important. It helps so many people who go through this. I get so many messages and letters from people who like, you know, saw us go through a case and were like, gosh, it helped to see someone else going through that. And to see that, you know, I, I know the animal didn't make it, but, you know, to see them go through that pain, it really helped me with mine. And so, you know, that's, um, 
a tough one all the time. All, mm-hmm. Every single day we have issues like that. And, you know, people don't want to be on camera sometimes and that's okay, but we still have to be their vet. We still have to do that work because we only, you know, we're the only ones there. And so that, that makes it really hard for us, you know, so we try to tactfully schedule, you know, get the filming cases while we've got the crew. If it's not an emergency, obviously emergencies take precedence, but, you know, and then move the other non-film cases to a different time slot where we're not filming. And, you know, that really makes some people angry, but it's kind of like, that's what's getting me around here, you know? So it's, it's a tough one um, for us to manage, no doubt about it, but most people do understand and appreciate just that we're able to get to the community. And then I think when they see the show come out, I think they really get it. Like how, everyone feels for them and sees the story and, and learns about, you know, how this happened in the first place or, you know, how to prevent it in your own animal. I mean, there's definitely a huge education factor on every case we do. People appreciate seeing that, but you know, there's cases where, you know, it's an old dog and ends up being euthanized and we don't ever film euthanasias. And and it's just like, that's just how it is, you know, and we've all, we've all been there. I mean, our own goat, you know, my, my daughter Willow's goat, ugh. I don't, it's, it's hard to talk about to this day, but a dog attacked it and she was pregnant and Willow, you know, the, the goat was getting ready to have a baby. And then Willow came home and found, you know, everyone was standing around her goat and she's like, Oh, she's having her baby. And then ran up to it and found this white goat covered in blood, you know, and ripped apart. And and I was in uh, at a clinic about an hour and a half away. And so they were bringing me and I had to meet them and get the goat and her, her name's Kate. And so then I had to, you know, put Kate, you know, try to save Kate's life. And, it did not work out. And, uh, well, you kind of had the card stacked against you there because the power kept going out. It was just like, yeah, that was an incredible day. Yeah. Yeah. The power was going out. We're having a storm. So the power was going (laughs) in the middle of surgery and her heart stopped twice. We got it back going. Like it was just, we almost did it, you know, almost pulled it off. Oh, sometimes those are even harder. we've We've had quite a few, I mean, even this past year, Daisy, yeah. our pug. Um, oh yeah, we she lost passed our pug away. This year. Dang, and it was all on camera. And I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it it definitely is hard because we go mm-hmm. in there, and it's hard to have a camera in your face when you're upset, when you're concentrating, yeah. when you're doing something you've never done before, or when you're emotional and you have like something's wrong with your animal. Like I mean, Frankie yeah. was bit on the head, and I and I was filmed, and I was like, it's a good it's a good perspective change to see how people are feeling in in that mm-hmm. in their shoes and just to be a little bit more empathetic towards them when they're coming in but yeah we had our our pug pass away on camera but it was like you looked around and you saw that the people who were filming the film crew like they're in it with you they're crying they're it's crying just, like like they're behind yeah. the camera and there's tears running down their face too yeah, like they are a very emotional as we all know it's an emotional job and it's emotional mm-hmm. for the crew like they're mm-hmm. they're invested and they love animals and they get to know the people and yeah so that yeah i, I don't have a clear answer on the the ethics of all of that like it's it's a daily a daily battle and there aren't easy sure. answers on it, but I do feel like in the end, we're sensitive about it. We're trying to get around and do good and, and, and share stories that are tough for people to go through, but everyone so appreciates when they do even us. And, you know, you can tell I'm still emotional about Kate. I can barely talk about that stupid goat, <laughs> but you know, it was like 10 years ago and it's like, but I know how people feel, you know? And then, yeah you know, they filmed that whole story and it came out and so many people reached out and were like, you know, they'd lost an animal like that. And it me- meant so much. And, you know, mm-hmm. especially when it's your kid's pet that they have their whole heart, yeah. you know, resting on. So it's mm-hmm. just, 
Yeah, we but, we know how it is both from the owner side of it, you know, or the you yeah. know, the family side of it and the vet side of it. Mm-hmm. And there's even um there's been like so much good that's come from the show and even the specific case where there was this um older guy who lived out on his own and he yeah. had this dog and this dog was his best friend, his protection, like everything this yeah. dog was to it was him. during COVID too. And it was during COVID. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we went out there and the dog ended up being riddled with cancer and we oh, had yeah. to euthanize the dog. Oh. But after that show came out, a Labrador breeder from yeah. down south saw it and he flew up a dog for him. He flew up a yeah. new puppy. For oh him my gosh. Like, you so need cool. this dog. And I was like, yeah. honestly, just for that alone, it just yeah. kind of, you look at stuff like that, that makes mm-hmm. it really worth it. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. It's like, it's gosh. Okay. That's, that's really emotional and really, really heavy. And I, I so appreciate you guys walking through all of that with me. I can't imagine some of the challenging situations, but you know, I'm sure, you know, as veterinary professionals listening to this podcast, you know, we know that, that your hearts are in it. And then to know like the crew is in it with you too. And everybody's so invested, you know, as hard as these situations are, you know, I really think you guys do a great job of, of bringing that story to light. Thank you. Okay, so let's talk about let's talk about something a little more fun. Something I'm I'm dying to know. I have two daughters, and actually, right before I got on this recording, one of them was helping me with holding a dog so I could put an IV catheter in him, uh, and he could get IV antibiotics. But you know, I watched just the relationship that all of you have, and you know how. How do you foster that relationship? And obviously there's editing on the show. I, you know, I'm sure life is not <laughs> always perfect behind the scenes and, and all of this. But, you know, the to watch the relationship between you and your daughters, you know, now you have Sierra who wants to be a vet and nobody seems resentful or upset about the time that they spend in the clinic and working with you. How, how did you pull that off? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's exactly like that. We get along so well. Mm-hmm. No, it, <laughs> um, no, it's a family I mean, business. If there's, yeah. there's there's always there's gonna be fights. Like there's gonna be, and I mean yeah. especially with like emergencies coming. And gosh, I mean this past summer, Maya and I couldn't go out one weekend without being called in on an emergency. Like yeah. it would be like it we would be seven o'clock. It would be just getting ready to go to like my friend's place and have some drinks, and yeah. we would get a call being like you got to come in and we would be like, you okay. guys would look so nice when you came and in. And we though. would be like, yeah, totally up, dressed up in our going out clothes. And we would just throw on a scrub shirt and we'd be there. And we, yeah. and I mean, like, I, I'm still blown away by all the times that you guys just showed up. I, I have to admit, like, I don't think they realized they had the option to not because um, so many times I'd be like, Oh God, you know, can you guys just come help me hold something? Can you come over? We got this emergency. And you know, they'd be like, oh my gosh, we're just getting ready to go. And, you know, and all that. And they would still show up. Like, I don't, but I guess, you know, having worked it together, we all know what it's like when it's just one of us mm-hmm. or just, you know, we all know what sure. it's like when we're not, you know, when you need a hand and someone's not there. And, and also in a small town, you know, most of the people. And so then it's so sad when, you know, it's like, oh, guess what? It's this person, you know, you know, you're going to see that person again. You know, that you know, that a lot of people's whole life story, you know, that animal. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that makes it a lot, you know, more personal and, and easy to um, sure. you know, get motivated to come in for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's 
started out with me and three kids. And then, you know, now we're four women working together and geez, of course, you know, one of us gets our time and then it passes through and all four of us are cycling together. And oh man, (laughs) it's it's really a problem. (laughs) But it's um, yeah. I mean, it's tricky because everyone has what they're good at. And unfortunately for Sierra, she's kind of good at everything and all the jobs, even the ones that aren't fun. (laughs) And Maya has never said she wanted to be a vet, but she's very willing to help and work and not just to be on the show. She likes the filming, but she also likes, loves the animals. And she's really good at, you know, recovering, but that's a fun job. Who doesn't want to sit, you know, cuddle the animals after recovery, Oh, yeah. you know, and Sierra's like, could I do a little bit of that instead of doing like the cleanup and blah, blah, you know? So <laughs> I often get pulled in the middle of like, you know, really, you know, and, you know, Sierra's trying to teach Maya how to stain slides and Maya lit it on fire. Yeah. Maya dips it. Oh no, she alcoholed it first. Yeah. And then lights it. And it's like, you know, the slides on fire, you know, and she's like, we'll see. (laughs) And there's a little Sierra's like, she's just doing that. So she won't have to do the slide. I mean, I have been trying to teach her how to wrap packs for 10 years and she still does not know. Mom, don't laugh. You're no better. I have other things I need to be. Yeah. Doing. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well I'm leaving now and I've had like 10 years to try and teach you guys how to wrap packs. And now it's like, yeah. you guys are going to need to YouTube it because like, I mean, Maya's like, well, I just don't know how to do it. I'm like, it's not hard. I've sat down with you probably like many times showing you how to do yeah. it and you just choose not to learn and then you don't have to do it. Yeah. So I guess you can hear that it's not all rosy, but it's not always perfect. <laughs> And Willow just kind of rejoined us. You know, Willow is um, just graduated high school. So she's, you know, seven years younger than Sierra, five years than Maya. So so through a lot of the bulk, like she filmed the first few seasons and then kind of through her middle teenage years, she just didn't enjoy it at all. And, sure. you know, friends were teasing her. She also felt like she just wanted to be traveling around with her, you know, like her volleyball team or she didn't want to travel sure. at all was a big thing for her. She's like, I don't want to travel. I want to stay home. And you know, so that was understandable, of course. So she didn't film for the middle bulk of the season. She just rejoined us last year, this mm-hmm. past this past year where we did two seasons. And that was that was tricky to kind of work her back into it and um get her feeling like she was, you know, knew how to do things and you know, and she's a teenager, and so you know, we'd be showing her stuff and she's like, ah, you know, like typical teenage things. Like I, right. I, I don't think I fired you, but I definitely fired, you fired me. Oh, did I? Well, yeah. I fired Will and I fired, <laughs> fired Maya multiple times and, and, <laughs> and they just keep coming back. back. And can you imagine how so, family dinners are after you've yeah, just oh been fired and then you have to sit down together? You're fired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I, I probably deserved it each time I would have fired me too, but, um, character pros. <laughs> <laughs> it's I don't like know. you're fired, but also have... I really need your help. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why they keep coming back. You know, I think it's it. Well, I mean, we love each other. We um, fight for each other and it's a small town. They don't have a lot of other options. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I love it. I love it. it. It's so like, it brings it so, so full circle. Cause I watch and I'm like, they are just like totally fine with going to the clinic and working. And I was like, I hope my kids are that all right with it. And yeah, you know, no, that'll help me out like that. Part of the reality TV that might not be as, as real as, as real. real. 
But I mean, to be fair, I think that we do get along a lot better yeah. than the average. I mean, even with yeah. Maya and I like the average right. sisters. Like I think Maya and I even lived together for like two years and it yeah. was it. And just to hear people be like, I could never live with my sibling and Maya and I would work yeah. together, go back and then have and an apartment so together different it's and, so funny yeah we are very different yeah. and so it was and sometimes when it's be frustrating because I'm out filming and doing stuff and they're like waiting in the car at some crappy weather and they didn't need to be in the scene or whatever the thing is and I hear like hysterical laughter and they're like giggle festing in the truck <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> showing each other videos, falling all over laughing. And I'm like out there working and I'm like, really? You know, but <laughs> <laughs> you're like, my fingers are falling off from yeah, the cold. Exactly. And you guys are just having a giggle fest in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, this has been probably one of the most fun interviews I think I've ever done. I mean, oh, it, it, it brings the show so full circle. I mean, you guys are so dynamic with all of the things that you're trying to do and, and these, these passion projects and the incredible care that you're able to bring to these places. I really, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Oh, no problem. Thank thanks you for having us. Yeah. It's thanks for so the interest. Fun. It's exciting. It's really fun to hear from vets who like the show that means a lot you know because it's always you know it shuts that little voice up a little bit more that says I'm not yes, doing things yeah. right or whatever so <laughs> you're doing a great it. job <laughs> thank you <laughs> um you know again so much fun thank you you know everybody listening check out the Instagram at UConVet if you want to learn more about the foundation and all of the exciting things that are going to happen there and if you haven't watched the show I'm sure you can hear the excitement in, in my voice you should yeah oh one more quick thing is that the show yeah. the new seasons they air i believe it's april 8th the new season 11 starts on nat geo wild every saturday and then on april 12th i believe it is the whole season dumps on disney plus so right now all this all previous 10 seasons are on disney plus you can live stream them and then like i said this new season will be on there as well and then there's another season coming right away but that'll be in the fall sometime Perfect. I will tell you, if you and your daughter both have strep throat and you need to pass the day, um, it'll suck you in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, I'll let you get back to your weekend again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Cassie. Amazing. This was so much fun. And Michelle and Sierra, thank you for being so gracious and so generous with your time and making this work on a crazy tight schedule. I also want to give a huge shout out to Julianne Robinson and Lacey Smith here at Vetfolio for giving up their evenings in order to make this happen. I had a blast and may even make an Instagram account as a result to follow the happenings with this new foundation. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day. <laughs>